This push will cheer me ever or deceit me now. I have lived long enough. My way of life has fallen into the sear, the yellow leaf. And that which should accompany old age as honor, love, obedience, troops of friends, I must not look to have. But in their stead, curses, not loud, but deep. Mouth honor, breath, which the poor heart would fain deny and dare not. Satan! What's your gracious pleasure? What news more? All is confirmed, my lord, which was reported. I'll fight till from my bones my flesh be hacked. Give me my armor. Tis not needed yet. I'll put it on. Send out Mohosis, scur the country round, hang those that talk of fear. Give me mine armor. How does your patient, doctor? Not so sick, my lord, as she is troubled with thick-coming fancies that keep her from her rest. Cure her of that. Canst thou not minister to a mind diseased, pluck from the memory a rooted sorrow, raise out the written troubles of the brain, and with some sweet oblivious antidote cleanse the stuffed bosom of that perilous stuff which weighs upon the heart? Therein the patient must minister to himself. Throw physic to the dogs. I'll none of it. Come, put mine armor on. Give me my staff. Satan, send out. Doctor, the fanes fly from me. Come, sir, dispatch. If thou couldst, doctor, cast the water of my land, find her disease, and purge it to a sound and pristine health, I would applaud thee to the very echo that should applaud again. Pull it off, I say. What rhubarb sime or what purgative drug would scour these English hence? Hearest thou of them? Aye, my good lord. Your royal preparation makes us hear something. Bring it after me. I will not be afraid of death and bane till Burnin Forest come to Dunsany. Hello and welcome to Raise a Glass, the podcast where we talk about the stories and storytellers that shape us. I am Hunter Danson. I am Eric Lintola. And I am Michael Giordano. Today is a first for us. We have a guest. Um, that was my own. Yeah. Drum roll. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, my friend Michael, um, who I've known since high school, uh, and and we more recently reconnected and um, been talking about a lot of different things um, and doing music together and all kinds of stuff. But we're going to be talking about Macbeth um, by Shakespeare because it is one of I know it is one of Michael's favorites and. Uh, he, uh, I asked him if he wanted to come on and he said, yes. So here we are. Um, but before so we get to, yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> Before we get to that, uh, I got to know uh, what is in both of your glasses. Yeah, I'll jump in first. Um, today to celebrate the forthcoming Christmas season, beginning of Advent, the ending of Thanksgiving, and really the beauty of this year, this time of year, I brought forth the most Christmassy of drinks, eggnog. Uh, I have come in the last few years to absolutely love eggnog. I grew up uh, as a, as a doubter. Um, did not believe in it. Um, and now I have um, experienced the magic of Christmas. Mm. Uh, it's probably the sixth food group that uh, should have been added to Elf. Mm. <laughs> That's what I got. Michael, how about you? My receptacle for drinking significantly hey. is my prized Scotland mug. <laughs> Suitable for this occasion. Mm. And my beverage is diluted elderberry syrup with just a dash of habanero sauce. Mm. Get an adventure. What, what is that? burn and cauldron bubble. Yes, sir. Whew. A dash <laughs> indeed. A dash <laughs> indeed. <laughs> wow, it really burns. <laughs> well. Speaking My of stomach burning. burns hearing that. <laughs> a little a little mixology going on over yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. And Hunter, what's in your glass? I have um some glue wine, which is a spiced wine uh that you warm up. And I have it in a mug here to keep warm. Um glue, like the thing that you yeah. glue, uh, it's I think it's German. It's like G L U W H E I N glue vine. Um, okay, so it's not glue wine, it's glue wine, which glue is wine. Yes. a oh, spiced wine. Yeah. Yes. So it's glue wine wine. Yeah. And it's uh <laughs> not bad. Uh from oh, in Vermont, apparently this one. So uh, it's brewed. Ver- yeah. Spiced, spiced wine, heated up. Enjoy a warm. This one's pretty sweet, actually. Sweet warm, beverage, sweet glue wine, wine. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, before we get too far down a Wikipedia rabbit hole about glue wine, um, <laughs> we'll delve into our theme of this evening. <laughs> Yes. Well, we actually have one other thing that we always do that I want to touch base on. Um, we have to re- sh- know what other people are raising a glass and pouring one out for uh, from this previous week. Um, I can, I'll go first with this one and we can kind of follow up around it. Uh, for me this week, I am raising a glass to Andor. And before anybody asks, um, yes, I'm talking about both Andors. Um, the kingdom that the Trekand family, of uh, whom Morgays, Elaine, Gawain, Galad are part of in the Wheel of Time. Um, and uh, more specifically, um, for Andor, the Disney Plus TV show, Star Wars show, um, which in my opinion, I just finished today. It is by far the best 
Star Wars TV show I have seen. Um, I have not seen all of the animated Clone Wars, so before you gotta you know, attack me on that, I haven't seen them. Um, but uh, I got so many feels, and the action mm. was good, and it was emotional, and it just the acting was great. It was, whew, I'm hoping at some point we can talk about it. Um, and then I'm pouring one out for sand. I don't like sand. <laughs> <laughs> that's continuing my Star Wars uh, theme of my raising a glass and pouring one out. Nice. Well, enough said. Yeah. Hmm. Do you have anything, Michael? Well, like to raise a glass or pour one out for? Uh, I will certainly raise a glass to Kitchens of Vermont, hmm. which is a kitchen design store. Okay. That just hired me to work for them. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love it. That's gross. Th- That's cool. Thus, thus providing me with the economic security I heretofore have lacked. Uh, so Great definitely good. Heretofore. <laughs> good. Good looks. Kitchens of Vermont. Yeah. Keep doing you. Mm. Um, and I will pour one out for uh, the bus driver on the Manchester to Bennington orange line Mm. Um, because uh, there's a bus driver who's semi-retiring and then the Mm. people taking over for her are mid Mm. and uh, yeah it's just just, you gotta pour some out it's an unfortunate situation for everyone involved (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right yeah okay hunter what about you i'm uh i'm raising a glass to my son he's uh two and a half because he is the best audience for my lame magic tricks <laughs> <laughs> are you better than todd the magician oh uh, well i'm definitely not um you know todd oh yeah todd the magician um, I, I, I have like a couple kind of lame card tricks that I do. Um, and he loves them. He's so, he's so great. <laughs> I fold the card up in my hand and I pull it out of his ear and he loves it. He's like to do it again, do it again. Mm. Uh, and it's, uh, it's great. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm pouring one out for the tiny little fuses in the plug of the Christmas lights that I had to change. Oh, oh my goodness. You found one, day. you were actually able to do it. I have tried so many times and fell. As soon yeah. as one light goes out, the whole thing's out. And I'm like, I give up. Yeah. Or so buy a new one. It was actually the fuses in the, in the plug of it on the end. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. And you have to pull the, you have to pull this little thing out. Oh, that, you, that fuse. Yeah. Oh. And you have to get out these tiny little, tiny little fuses I actually, they didn't look like they were broken, but it it wasn't working. And I was like, I'll just change the fuses and see if it works. But I actually had to break them to get them out because Mm. they were in so tightly. And then I almost broke the new ones trying to get them in Mm -hmm. because they just made it incredibly tight. And the instructions were like, oh, just turn it over to get the old ones out. And I'm like, they're not falling out of there. They're, They're squeezed so tightly. And it was, uh, you know, it's just one of those awful, awful experiences that I'm sure many dads have encountered. 
um, trying to fix stuff around the house where it's like, really? They, they made it like this. Um, that's when it's worth buying a new one. Yeah. But, but it works now. So actually one of my friends has, his parents have a device that checks the current in each of the lights. So if, if you have an issue where one of the lights goes bad instead of the fuse at the end, uh, yeah, like they have one that they can just like test it on each of the things real quickly and figure out what the prop, where the problem is. Oh, that's, like, that's the type of one of my same friend um, defines like being a homeowner and being a real adult as owning a bunch of things that are not necessary. Um, <laughs> like things that you only use once a year, like, you know, a gravy bowl. Um, mm-hmm. That makes you a real adult. If you have two sets of silverware, one of which you never use, um, or like an apple slicer that like goes over the thing that you never use, that makes mm-hmm. you a real adult. Um, mm-hmm. And as as now as a real adult, I have a desire to own such a real adult tool as a uh, <laughs> Christmas light tester. <laughs> yes, I have a story related to Christmas lights testing. What a fascinating <laughs> thing. Yeah, I'm sure it's riveting to everybody. Um, but I interrupted you, Michael, a few minutes ago when you were actually going to lead us to the more interesting part of our discussion. And so I would love for you to kind of dive in and talk to us about Macbeth. What in the world is the story of Macbeth about, even? Can you give us a summary? Well, Macbeth is the shortest of Shakespeare's four great tragedies as they are discussed in scholarship. Okay. And it is semi-historical and it is inevitable that we will circle around to that point again, although I would like to not heavily focus on the historicity of the play. But it is a tragedy and it discusses uh themes about mm-hmm. the human lust for power mm-hmm. and as far as a summary goes it takes place in Scotland and there is a supernatural element where three very theatrically famous witches appear before our tragic hero Macbeth the weird and sisters. The weird sisters. Mm-hmm. And they confound him with prophecies that he's actually about to take off. And <laughs> his career is about to reach new heights. <laughs> Put your stock in this guy. <laughs> and this these prophecies. And to some extent, the urgings of Macbeth's wife push him to accelerate his rise to the top. Mm. Leading, leading, leading to the conflict and great tragedy uh, that ensues for the next four and a half acts. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. So it's a political drama that has roots in 11th century Scotland. That is your setting. And I think there will come a time 
th- th- there are themes that are uh, linked to the story, and yet I think the story has so many layers and such depth that even if you yourself stand very little chance of becoming king of Scotland, you <laughs> will still have a relatable theme is still a great lesson that can be transposed from Macbeth onto Mm. your own experience. Mm. And that is the beauty of Shakespeare. Yeah. You were kind of diving into it right from there. Um, But I would love to hear, uh, wait, we're about the stories and storytellers that shape us. And so every episode Hunter and or I kind of share about how this story has has shaped us. Um, and I'd love to hear wh- how this story story has shaped you. It seems like you were kind of about to go into that space. Sure. I actually would love to kind of open up with that. So when I was a senior in high school and you and Hunter were freshmen. At- <laughs> the college which shall not be named. Yes. Yes, the college... I'm going to have to bleep it. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> yes, please. Please do that. <laughs> when I was a senior in high school, I had to record 32 community service hours, which is part of attaining a regent's diploma in New York State. Mm-hmm. And part of my community service was to work the box office at our local theater company in Cambridge, New York, the fabulous Hubbard Hall. Yeah. And the play that winter was Macbeth. Mm. So I saw it four times. (laughs) (laughs) And I had not read it. I had not seen it. I knew... a fairly minimal amount about it and I loved it immediately and then later that year I went to college myself a college which shall even less be named and (laughs) at that college I enrolled in a class called Shakespearean Adaptations Hmm. and the first half of the term we discussed Othello then the second half of the term, we discussed Macbeth. Mm. So the year 2013, I took a deep dive into Macbeth. And then since then, it sort of followed me. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen it, I think, maybe 10 times, at least eight times, mm. somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to 12 times and uh i've seen the denzel washington film that came out around this time last year which i think is fabulous and which i recommend very highly Mm. um and i've seen just various stage productions and such and it's become personal to me because it is a sort of a living word 
It's the sort of thing where when you read it, a new phrase strikes you, mm. and mm. a new flourish of poetry rests on your mind, and you find new meaning in it. And for me, um. this time around, that line is Lady Macbeth in Act. I believe it's in Act One. And she says, she's talking to Macbeth, trying to persuade him to go through with the plan that they've made. And she says, for that which thou esteemst the ornament of life. By which she means the crown, Mm -hmm. you know, that the crown is the ornament of life, the thing to have. It's what it's all about is. Mm -hmm. Power represented by kingship of your native land, Scotland. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about that is that there really is not a ton of indication that Macbeth esteems the ornament of life to be the crown. It is a lot of indication that Lady Macbeth esteems the crown to be the ornament of life. Mm. We'll get into that. But yeah, the stories become personal to me by just repeated exposure is the TLDR. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, as we go on, I'll talk more about how I relate to it personally. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Do you have anything you would like to share about the relationship you have with Macbeth, gentlemen? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I read this play more recently. as I've been actually through a lot of our conversations, uh, Michael, uh, you often quote Shakespeare to me. Um, yes. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I kept thinking, man, that's, that's a hole in my reading that I really need to, to shore up. So, um, I started reading some Shakespeare, uh, did King Lear and, um, I can't remember, but, uh, then I read Macbeth and <clears throat> because I knew it was like one that was pretty important to you and mm. I really liked it. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite Shakespeare cause I, I don't think I've read enough, um, Shakespeare to, to say I have a favorite yet, mm. but, um, I mean just the lines in it, like I was, I rewatched, I watched the, uh, the Denzel version um in preparing for the podcast uh and i was doing some rereading today and i was just just writing down lines um and i think that is what i love about shakespeare is just the language and um the way that he uses the english language to convey meaning and um the sound of the language and not just, not just alliteration and rhyming, but the fact that his alliteration and rhyming highlights the meaning of the sentence or, um, or the line, or it's just so well put together. Um, and, and I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to get into if you haven't read much Shakespeare, but if, as you read more, 
you learn more of of the language and the meaning and it gets gets easier um trying to find a a line i think i mean this is just from one one uh and it's not a particularly i, I was gonna say that yeah. too <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna throw that one out there yeah and it's uh it's fair is foul and foul is fair hover through the fog and filthy air the rhyming the alliteration it's just in in two lines he gives so much atmosphere and and feeling and it's i love it uh Especially the way that that's presented in the Denzel version with that witch reading the voice, you know? Oh, yeah. The witch was, oh, she, I don't know. The, the one who played the witch, um, did you did you see the Denzel one, Eric? No. I uh, bet you can tell me about it. Yeah. Because I, I doubt too many of our listeners have seen it, so. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's really annoying. They, I don't think they've released it on DVD yet because it's only on Apple TV+. Plus. <laughs> Apple TV. Apple yeah. TV bought that. When yeah. was the last yeah. time you uh, went out and bought a DVD? Well, I go to a library, <laughs> okay, and and rent that. the DVD. That's good. They get yeah. the they get new DVDs. Uh, and Support stuff. your local <laughs> library. Uh, no, it's amazing. Get a like from ours in this in this world <laughs> where like all of these companies are fighting over our attention and trying to get us to pay for these cruddy streaming services. Like, just go to your library and. Uh, Anyway, um, that's what it's all about. <laughs> Preach. Yeah. yeah. But the um, woman who played the witch. Best supporting the, actress. Yeah. I mean, I, she outshined Denzel and um, outshined Francis everyone. McDormand. Like, yeah, just. You know what you have to do to outshine Francis McDormand? <laughs> right. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, Incredible. And yeah and and just Shakespeare Shakespeare said it the best i i you get you can tell i I love Shakespeare a lot. I've come more recently to love Shakespeare because i I didn't really appreciate it that much in high school. I think it's really hard to appreciate Shakespeare in high school um you know unless you have a particular interest, but just as a writer and someone who loves words i just it's so fascinating to me to see the way that language has changed over time and, mm. and to see it through the lens of, of a wordsmith like Shakespeare. Um, but I think we're getting a little off track. Um, well, I can help bring us back on track. Uh, Cause I, let me tell you about my experience with Shakespeare and Macbeth. Please um, do. And uh I my goal in this conversation is to learn why I should like Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> I don't dislike Shakespeare, um, uh, and I understand the importance of what Shakespeare's done. Um, and and I have read, I mean, things from Romeo and Juliet to Macbeth. This is this is my third time working through Macbeth. I've done King Lear a couple of times. I've watched a lot of um, show uh, movies that were based off of. Uh, various uh shakespeare things um uh i've read a lot of the sonnets shakespeare sonnets um i understand his way of crafting language and the impact that it has on lives and the way that 
Um, he you know, does pseudo history at times, and just like the beauty of the words. Um, and I've also learned that uh, to read Shakespeare without speaking out loud is to um, to misread Shakespeare. I've found. Um, so I was I as I was trying to read through Macbeth again this time. Uh, I had I was whenever I tried to read it internally, I just missed so much and my eyes glazed over. But when I read things out loud to my son, um, who was somewhat interested, um, you know, as a, most seven and a half months are, uh, as he was trying to learn how to climb over my leg for the first time, um, he was somewhat successful, uh, just for, you know, for keeping track at home. Um, to read it, in, reading internally, just, I glazed. I, I couldn't do it internally. Um, but speaking it out loud, even just that line, like that, you know, that you had just read, um, you know, it, it, it wouldn't have reading it in your head. It doesn't connect the same way as to say the fair is foul and foul is fair. Hover through the fog and filthy air. Like there's the, the, the act of speaking it um, brings the words to life. And I understand that. Um, mm. And I've listened to audio versions of Shakespeare um, and like of King Lear a couple times. Um, and I have also, and this is probably one of my favorite interactions with Shakespeare, um, lived in Chicago for a few years. And up until uh, the pandemic, there was a theater that was opened that did um, improv Shakespeare uh, throughout the week. And so mm. I went to multiple improv Shakespeare and they'd get, take a line and then they'd create a, a tragedy around <laughs> the the line. Like, like one of the first ones I ever went to is I met her on Tinder. Um, <laughs> and by the end of the show, the, the two act improv show, um, they had made it, led it to, to be um, two characters meeting each other while they're being burned at the stake um, <laughs> on Tinder. Uh, which uh, just, <laughs> <laughs> hey. I, I, so I really appreciated that. I, I, I'm never going to say that there's not a a way that you know that Shakespeare has impacted our our society, our culture, and probably even you know what I read and what I like. Um, but I am not convinced that it is worth the effort uh, <laughs> uh, to read a Shakespeare by yourself. Um, I think maybe in a group of people, um, where you can talk about it and read it out loud, but, uh, I, I need to be convinced, um, why Macbeth is something that I, I tried, I, I made it halfway through it this time and I just gave up. Mm -hmm. I couldn't. Um, and it's again, not because I don't respect Shakespeare. Um, I went back through my notes and was like, okay, skip ahead. Now, this is where she, Lady Macbeth's trying to wash her hands. Hmm. Skip ahead a little bit more. Okay, this character dies. There's a ghost over here. Skip ahead a little bit. Oh, this person's now the king. Uh, there's a that person was beheaded. Um, wow, there's a lot that I missed. Um, but I was I was finding it difficult uh, to dive into it, and maybe that's because uh, as much as I talk about wanting to be a, a reader who reads things that show you the world instead of telling you the world. Um, uh, maybe sometimes I want to be told what's happening instead of just to see it in front of me. And you know, whenever you're reading a play, it's, it's you're, you're, you're reading something that's meant to be shown. Um, and it's, it's mm -hmm. correct. And it's like, like the, and it's 
pure medium. So that's my bit. Um, I, I went on for a bit there. So my uncle was an English teacher and he would agree with you. He never taught plays as something to be read. And I agree with that philosophy because while these were published, Shakespeare's plays were published and people were very interested in buying them, copies of the manuscript and such. Hmm. They were interested in buying them because they had seen them. (laughs) Yeah. And one thing that my uh, edition of Macbeth here notes in several places in the various essays that precede the text Mm -hmm. is that Shakespeare wrote to an unprecedentedly wide audience Mm. that at his time, London was a very up and coming city. If you can believe that. And that (laughs) people of every walk of life lived there and wanted to see theater. Mm. And that, that is reflected in his work, the vast array of kinds of characters and stories that he tells in his 36 plays is a reflection of uh, needing to appeal to a lot of people. And some Mm -hmm. of them had a lot of education and some of them didn't. So one of the notes talks about when Macbeth is washing his hands and he says, no, this, my hand will rather the multitudinous seas in carnadine, making the green one red. So, the note on that in the text is that he uses this mellifluous vocabulary, the multitudinous (laughs) seas in carnadine, and then follows it in the next line with making the green one red. Mm. partly because on a big stage you might just miss the words you might just not hear Mm -hmm. quite perfectly what's being said partly because a lot of people didn't know what multitudinous seas and carnadine like what are you talking about that is it a spice it, it means that when he's washing his hand off, he thinks that the the multitudinous seas, all the water, all the oceans of the world, will turn red, rather than rather than cleanse the blood mm. of he- off of his hands, turning his skin clean. Okay, the blood mm. will is is so horrific to him that it will poison an entire ocean mm. and turn it red. So he kind of tells you that in simpler language after he. Mm flexes his poetic might brilliant um another thing i wanted to point out so one shakespeare hack that i have that i've found very useful is uh it's proven now and it's been proven for a long time if you're asked to memorize something a a series of numbers or a series of words your memory is most likely to remember the beginning and the end. That's the mm-hmm. primacy, primacy and the final. I forget what the term, psychological terminology is. Shakespeare knew this. So Shakespeare, his first line, in many ways, is a hack. It's, a, it's something you can dig into that will unlock 
a lot of meaning for you. Both of you mentioned you have read King Lear. Mm. The whole plot of King Lear is the ending is given away in the first line. And if you don't remember, I'll read it to you. This is Kent speaking. I thought the king had more affected the Duke of Albany than Cornwall. You get to the end of King Lear. Who's the one guy who's still alive? Albany. Hmm. So he's telling you from the first line. And Hmm. that uh, Richard III, now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by this son of York. He opens with his legendary strongest line in that play. Mm. So, what is Macbeth's first spoken line in the play? You heard Hunter read, Fair is foul, and foul is fair. (laughs) The first line you hear from Macbeth, he's walking along with Banquo, and he says, So foul and fair a day I have not seen. Yeah. Mm. And part of the brilliance to me of, <laughs> of the, the sort of woven quality of the language in Shakespeare is so beautifully bringing together opposites, foul mm. and fair. Uh, and, um, there's a, there's all these very elemental dichotomies like that. There's day and night and man and woman and things mm-hmm. that are opposites that get brought together in some way or another. And that's like very Ecclesiastes. It's very Genesis. It's, it, it's, it's the very, it's the Tao Te Ching. It's a very deep in ancient work and and thought and literature Hmm. Hmm. my mind's like still processing everything you just said yeah one thing yeah (laughs) go ahead no go ahead go ahead i'm still like getting over the idea of like like i'm i'm still like stage one of these were like oh yeah these were um shows that were written down i'm like because in my mind i'm like oh my goodness like what if i like 100 years from now 500 years from now 450 years or whatever was we were talking about wicked uh (laughs) having never seen it um Uh, or maybe seen a rendition and but like talking about it and like you know based off of not based off of the original book but based off of the musical and how void of life it would be in comparison to the 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 musical in comparison to the theater the show that it is right when you it's the amount of work even just i mean you can hear it michael in the way you speak the not only the the love and passion for shakespeare but also your um your experience I'm, i'm guessing you've done acting um just in the way that you spoke um and, and it just it brings the words to life in a different way such that even if you don't understand them um they you, you can see it and you can understand it not only in the 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 choice of words and you talked about that and how shakespeare will use the haha like flexes his his word muscles and then kind of say you know red and green um yeah. <laughs> but but the way that it's acted also 
communicates that. There's a, I mean, there's so many different cues, you know, that is that is in this in the show that you know we have small amounts of them written on. Um, I'm sure in our different versions, um, and and yet like the the way that it's lived and portrayed is is so. I mean, visceral. Um, uh, that trying to to read it, you know, at 10 p.m. at night, where you know, while you're <laughs> going to sleep, uh, is 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 really doing it a disservice. So that's where my mind's working through. Mm. I think of Shakespeare or, or reading Shakespeare. For me, has been like learning a language, um, <clears throat> because. Uh, I mean, language never stops evolving. It's always changing. And the way that new languages are formed, um, and I'm, I'm basing this off of a great courses, um, the story of human language, a, a linguist um, who's a leader in his field does a bunch of lectures. You can get it on Audible. But <clears throat> uh, he says the way that language changes is it goes through time. That, and if you have... Two, if you have one people group who's speaking a language and then you separate them and put them on different continents, they will eventually develop into totally different languages um, mm. from the same root. And, mm. and, and, you know, there's a scale of that. And I, I love reading Shakespeare because I love seeing the way that language, the English language has changed. And just the the meaning of words, just little things like, um, I think there's one I found in here that was, uh, I, th I think it's Macbeth. It's in one two, um, where he says like, I, I don't want to memorize another Golgotha. Yes, and memorize, we would say memorialize, um, right, mm. and. It's it's so fascinating to me as someone who who um, tries to chart the stormy seas of the English language. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, when I'm writing, um, and you know, when you're trying to like mess with words or or doing poetry or even just you know just in prose, especially in fiction, um, trying to find a good sentence and stuff. It's so cool to see like to go deeper into thinking about a word like memorize because when we hear memorize we think okay i got to remember that but mm. you know it's in here it's it's memorialize it's like make uh make it memorable make everyone know? else remember yeah the the <laughs> i z e the i is it you know memorize yes. and I don't know. It's that's so cool for me to think about, um, and also, I also think about just the many, many things that we still say that Shakespeare said, um, like uh, I don't. Know, you, you might be able to help me out with this, Michael. But the yeah. the be all and the end all, you know oh, that yeah. that is a phrase mm. that is from Shakespeare, mm, um, yeah. actually from Macbeth. Uh, something wicked this way comes is also Macbeth. Um, By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked. This right. Way comes. Yes. Uh, short shrift. Um, mm. I love shrift. Yeah. Great word. 
Yeah. Everyone should be using that. (laughs) Foregone, foregone conclusion. Um, Mm. all that glitters isn't gold. Mm. Uh, wild goose chase. Mm. Um, now I feel like reading off a list. This is impressive. I am. Yeah. Break the ice. Uh, I'm, I'm on Google. Yeah. Um, brave new world. Uh, yeah. Brave new world. I just learned that today. That's a Shakespeareism. It's from the tempest, I believe. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Melted into thin air. Also from the tempest. I I got, I I think Macbeth tops melted into thin air because when the witches disappear, Macbeth Macbeth remarks, uh, 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 where did I write this down? And what seemed corporal melted as breath into the wind? Mm. Yeah. Melted as breath into the wind. Hmm. Those witches were gone. They were nowhere to be found. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The earth has bubbles as the water has, and these are of them. Oh, yeah. I love that that line. Yeah. So, um, Hmm. uh, it's, I think, a good point to mention another historical note, since we're going to talk about Banquo at some point. As far as this play, this play, there's a reason Shakespeare wrote this play in 1605, 1606, because, and not before then, because Mm. this is a play about Scottish rulers, Mm -hmm. one of whom is an ancestor of King James VI of Scotland. And when Queen Elizabeth died, she would not reveal who was going to be her successor. This is another another drama. But she would not reveal who her successor would be because she was had no children until her deathbed. And at her deathbed, she said, my nephew, James. King, King James VI of Scotland he gets to inherit the English throne. Mm. So then it's no longer the queen's men, it's the king's men. And Mm -hmm. Elizabeth was Shakespeare's patron. Now James is Shakespeare's patron. James, who's Scottish, whose ancestor is Banquo. And look at, Mm. you know, Banquo and how gentlemanly his character is and how his his he's really done foul and his son has to flee and then right. several gener and he you 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 shall get kings though you be none mm-hmm. <laughs> um hmm. james th- there was a clear uh there was a clear political uh motive behind this play mm. And fascinating. So Banquo is gifted with the. He's the. I don't know if you want to. It, it, it's not apples to apples, but he's sort of the Horatio of this play. <laughs> he is the insightful side character, although he uh, meets a rather untimely fate 
And he gets this line. Shakespeare's plays often include a line like this that like explains the whole thing to you. <laughs> and he's speaking about the prophecies, and he says, And oftentimes, to win us to our harm, the instruments of darkness tell us truths. Win us with honest trifles to betray us in deepest consequence. Mm. And that's the whole story. That's the whole story in four lines. The instruments of darkness tell us truths. Win us with honest trifles. Hey, you'll be Thane of Cawdor. <laughs> oh, look, you're Thane of Cawdor. Right. It's already done before they even tell him. It's already mm-hmm. been done. To betray us in deepest consequence. You're immune to men who are born of women. They just can't hurt you at all. Don't worry about them. Totally invincible you are. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. in one of my scholarly essays in my copy here, um, they point out that when the battle is recounted, Macbeth, as he's as he's fighting on the battlefield to reach MacDonald, the leader of the uh, rebellion, he carved out a passage with his sword, which smoked with bloody execution. Mm. So he has to he has to carve out a passage, and he's done in by this character who is from his mother's womb, untimely ripped, who, whose very birth into this world is, 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 is probably the result of, of knives and surgery. Mm. And there's that theme bookends the entire play. Mm. That, 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 that this immense violence <laughs> is just woven into these men's lives. And, it's celebrated on the battlefield. Uh, but it, be, it becomes the field, but here shows much amiss. In other words, you know, battle is, is all good on the field, but when you turn it in domestically, it's deplorable. Yeah. It's... I was thinking about that while watching football the other day. Uh... As yeah. a lover of football, I love love watching it. But I was like, you know, and we wonder why there might be anger management problems. Um, it's because you glorify, yeah. you know, this this type of intensity in one space, and then in all their spaces, it's not allowed, which makes sense. Like, it's I'm not going to propose a, a better answer at this particular moment, but it's. You know the the reality of what that looks like to the extreme is exactly what you're talking about, Michael. Yeah, the gladiators. We who are about to die salute you. Yeah, Hunter, do you want to jump in with thoughts of yours? I don't know. I'm. I can keep going as long as you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absorbing th- some thoughts. Um, I want to get to more like the. Um, your story with Macbeth 
you know, uh, like how, cause you said you, you come back to it. It's like a living word, um, which, you know, you, you, you get new things from it every time. And, um, well, I was wondering like, yeah. you know, because you love Shakespeare, uh, and you, you've read a lot of his, well, you've interacted with a lot of his plays and experienced them. And I'm wondering why, why this one in particular? I mean, you said it, it's, it was by force. It, it came after you. It, um, it, yeah, but... <laughs> it has come after me. I mean, in my house. It's like the weird sisters. Yeah. Yeah. It's karmic. And and that's and, and it's it's that's the weird <laughs> sisters are a peculiar kind of karma, but it involves some legerdemain, you know. In my house, you're force fed Hamlet at a young age, so I, I remember being four and five years old, and my grandfather repeating soliloquies and speeches from Hamlet to me. Speak the speech, I pray, as I pronounced it to you, trippingly on the tongue. And do not mouth it as many of your players do, or has Lyeth the town crier spoke my lines? Um, and uh, I mean, I couldn't tell you. I've I've probably seen Hamlet as much as every other Shakespeare play combined. I've seen Hamlet a lot, <laughs> and I'm very familiar with Hamlet. And Hamlet is revered as Shakespeare's sort of singular masterpiece in certain ways. Hmm. Um, which is, it, that's, it's like, that's like saying that the singular masterpiece of Led Zeppelin is Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I thought about that, you know, the the one, the one quote that the, average person might know from Macbeth is tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow that speech towards the end. Right. And that's, and that's a worthy line to be sure. But if that's all you know of this play, it's like you've heard piano man without the rest of the incredible <laughs> body of work that Billy Joel produced. You know, you're just missing so much. If you if you think somebody's a one hit wonder and they're actually not, you're missing out on a lot. <laughs> so yeah, uh, so Hamlet, I, I have re that relationship with by birth, whereas Macbeth has been more uh, of what I've lived my way into, mm -hmm. and for me personally. Um, it's, there's a simplicity to the Faustian concept of Macbeth. It's, uh, could you define Faustian? So the Faustian bargain this is a, a work of literature called Dr. Faustus and uh, this man decides he's going to sell his soul to the devil. Hmm. He goes out of Georgia. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> quite right. Obviously. There's a violin. Yes, yes, yes. 
Um, he uh, he sells his soul to the devil to be king of the world for a day. Mm-hmm. And Macbeth isn't that different of a story than that sentence I just told you. Mm. Macbeth sells his soul to the devil. You know, basically, that's he he's is tricked by these these juggling fiends who, who palter with us in a double sense, who keep the word of promise to our ear and break it to our hope. He mm. is susceptible but th- through them and through his wife who uh is I would say one of Shakespeare's stronger female characters, although um, there's room for more discussion about that. Mm. But his wife is Cersei Lannister, and he is Jamie Lannister, basically. Mm. Uh, <laughs> very loose <laughs> comps, but they work. Yeah. Actually, Cersei's pretty spot on. But anyway, um, so... There's a simple Faustian quality to it. Like, like I said, you and I are very unlikely to become kings of Scotland. But what Eric is... Eric might, though. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Is he Scottish? Are you Scottish? <laughs> no, I lived there for a few months. But, oh, uh, is it? <laughs> but what is it? what is it that thou esteemst the ornament of life? Is there something mm. that you want... What's the so, so badly that you would actually lose your moral compass or lose sight of of your real priorities and, and principles when that thing is set right before you. Mm. And that is a much more universal question than uh you know that that is the universal that I find in the story. That's such a good question. I, I let's just take a moment to think about that. That's not, I'm not expecting people to answer, but what is that mm. single thing that you would lose your morals? As you said to, to achieve to you to have. Everyone has a price and it's lower than they think it is. Well said. Isn't that Lincoln? It's Hunter Danson. I'm getting it from somewhere else. <laughs> but. I I was always vexed in Game of Thrones. You know, in the first season, Cersei says to, I think, Ned, when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. And that's where the title Game of Thrones comes from, that line. And I was always vexed by that because you watch the show for eight seasons and everyone is fighting for the Iron Throne and who in their right mind would want it? (laughs) Why would you want the Iron? It's, it's just, it's, it's really, it's, it's an illusion of power because as soon as you get it, everyone else is trying to kill you. So you're less safe once you have it than you are now. And the, yeah. pe- the characters that do well are characters like Davos, who are just content to be who they are and stay out of the, the, the real line of fire as much as they can. 
Macbeth has a great life. He is a very successful general. He wins this battle. This is the kind of battle where once you've won it, you can probably just retire. Mm -hmm. And he's also, I mean, you discover this through his bloodline because he gets the crown, but he's cousin, basically, basically a cousin of the king. So he's he's a nobleman himself. And the he's king a noble, loves him. He's a noble. The king loves him. The king promises to do good things for him. And the king is... Uh, is Shakespeare paints this as a good king, as distinct from Claudius or whoever. Like, this is... Duncan is a good king, and that's why it's so evil for Macbeth to turn on him. But Macbeth has... There's, there's no reason why he should esteem the crown the ornament of life. But is, is, is Lady Macbeth... I was originally thinking of asking this question on the pod, is Lady Macbeth Eve? And I very strongly feel that she's not, because she makes Eve look like the Virgin Mary. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. The, the, this is this is a very this, this I think Cersei is a much better comp, although somewhat less biblical. Um, that she is the real driving force that wants Anna Karenina. Do you think she's Anna Karenina? A bear? Huh? I think there's a comparison to be made, but I I don't know. One of the things that I was thinking about a lot when I was watching especially when I was watching the Denzel one and Francis McDormand was how, you know, Macbeth starts out as kind of reluctant to go through with it. Yeah. Um, and she, um, opens herself to the devil, basically. She uh, summons yeah. murdering ministers to yeah. invade her body and take her milk for gall and yeah, unsex like, me here. Like remove my womanhood, which is as a concept means like remove all that is loving, gentle, merciful, compassionate, motherly, you know, all those kinds of, of female traits, remove all that so that nothing will distract me from killing the King and becoming the queen. Yeah. And then, um, and then Macbeth becomes, you know, once he does it, he falls deeper into it and eventually... He's ensnared. Like, he makes the decision to kill um, Macduff's wife and children. And Lady, Macduff, but Lady Macbeth has no... She has nothing to do with it. Um, you know, he's yeah. like, he calls her a, you know... Don't don't worry about it, young Chuck. You know, be innocent uh, of the knowledge, my dearest Chuck, till thou applauds the deed. There it is. Um, and and that's it, for Banquo. That's not even that's before. Uh, oh yeah, that is yeah. for Banquo. Yeah, for for when he, when he decides about Macduff, he says, "Uh, this deed." He's he's angry because he's just gotten these visions from the uh the. the the second set of visions from the sisters. And he says, this deed I'll do before the purpose cool. Mm. Before I stop and think about it, I'm going to make sure I wipe out 
all unfortunate souls who trace him in mm-hmm. his line. He really like that to me when I've seen this performed, I remember seeing it in Saratoga. They did Shakespeare in the park there. And that, and and also in the Denzel version with, um, you know, Corey Hawking as Macduff and the Thane of Ross. And that's, this is a, a dark drama that you watch with a gripping intensity. The one moment of poignant heartbreak is 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 the moment when they tell Macduff mm. the moment when the messenger tells Macduff your family is gone there's nothing left mm. like you and you ran away like Macbeth, Macduff is shares a little bit of blame and he knows that because he left his family in Scotland and ran away to England so that he could help raise an army to go take back Scotland. He knew when he did that, that his family was at risk. So he feels responsible, but also, I mean, you, this, the, the pain All my of that chickens. moment. Yeah. In one fell swoop. There's another one. Fell swoop. Hmm. Yeah. Devastating. Yeah, that- when he says, uh, I wish you had been teaching the courses I took where we read uh, Macbeth and talked about it because I did not get any of this out of those things. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I read it in, in, in college and I read it in grad school. Right, like I, mm. I spent you know, hours of course time in, in my life reading and discussing this, this work and the tragedy that it is. And mm. I feel like I'm g- gaining more from this this conversation than than I did from those many many hours of hitting my head on a wall, um, trying to understand what was happening and in trying to understand like what was happening, missing the entire reality of like the the depth of it, like why. Mm. Um, I was trying to focus on the surface level. When in, and and then from there try to go into some of the deeper pieces of it, because that's the way I work through things. Like right here, you are you have done the surface level, the second step, the third step, fourth step. You're like fifth, tenth, you know, some some level of hundredth step into this process, and you're like letting us like experience um, not just your love for for Macbeth, but like what. Uh, how, how Macbeth is used not only within the political, socio-political time of time it was written, um, but within the, um, you know, the larger questions it's asking. I'm thinking about Ahab and Jezebel is really kind of mm. what he's drawing from, um, yeah. and Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. Um, but like in and this these these yeah these that's good questions. that's good. I hadn't thought of that. That's a good comparison. I mean, Shakespeare read the Bible. Like, <laughs> I, I, th- I think they're, they're, uh, humans are not machines, but if you bear with the analogy, it, you know, if, if a person was a machine and you fed, you know, like a, like a paper shredder, <laughs> only it printed, took the shreds and recombined them into manuscripts, if that's what people were, and you took a machine like Shakespeare and you fed Virgil and Ovid 
and Seneca <laughs> and Christopher Marlowe and then Greek, all Greek myth, Homer. Roman myth, and Homer, yeah, and the Bible. Like Genesis, Genesis is everywhere in Shakespeare's work. Mm. And if you fed all that into one brilliant playwright, what would come out would be the works of Shakespeare. Yeah. It's much better than the monkey illusion uh, illustration. Mm-hmm. If you put a, an infinite number of monkeys in front of an infinite number of typewriters for an infinite amount of time, they'll eventually write the works of Shakespeare. Yeah. Have you heard that one? A- yeah. I mean, it's true, but it's just like, if a tree falls in a forest, doesn't make yeah. a sound. That's it's like, yeah, who, right. it's like, who cares? That's a useless <laughs> exercise. Thank it's, you. <laughs> it's basically yeah. what it comes down to. So much for elementary school would have been, uh, you know, freed or up time wise. Or the one where, uh, you know, you, you, they put a guy on a track. Uh, th- there's one person tied on a track. And on the other track, there's a whole bunch of people. Uh, and the train is going to mm. hit all of the the large amount of people. Do you flip the switch? The trolley problem, they call it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hate that. I hate it. It's like, it's just, a it's it's pointless. Yeah. Uh, unless you're watching Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, uh, she solves it. Oh, that's they, right. They, they, oh, they yeah. do a version <laughs> of the trolley problem with the, with the crossing guard, and she just has it go on straight. And uh, oh, she beats yeah. the robot. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Only Kimmy Schmidt. Mm-hmm. Unbreakable. Could have used her in um, she was it's in like philosophy miracle. class in freshman mm-hmm. year. Um what other questions does Macbeth raise in the themes that that kind of make you think, Michael? Like what 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 else like what other questions should we be leaving with that we you know read and, and digested or watched or listened to or experienced questions yeah. questions that have have shaped that, that shape lives yeah yeah shape lives well there are mysteries that are i think to this day unsolved that may never be solved you, you the word double appears over and over and over again in this text you hear the witches of course that's the other famous line double double boil and bubble you know toil and trouble fire burn and cauldron bubble but the word double appears so many times i i can hardly even note them all in my notes and what is that about um and it starts early you know it's when the battle's lost and won you know it's like mm-hmm. a double saying but even when they say when they're describing the battle, they say uh, when the the Norwegian, the, you know, the revolt is it's mm-hmm. a Scottish rebellion, but they're aided by Irish and Norwegian troops. Norwegian, that's what they would say at the time. Yeah. So the Norwegians attack, get, have a second wave of troops, and Macbeth and Banquo doubly redoubled strokes upon the foe. And just like we're not a we're not phased by that, just continued to smoke everyone in sight. <laughs> um, Killing spree, yeah. And the, just the number of times the word double appears, so that's something to ponder. 
Um, I mean, there's there's a there's just so much going on here. I think uh, definitely the Porter speech is something that mystifies me. And what I read today is that the Porter, because like there's, there are no accidents. Like there's the other line that I, I can't, I can't get through this podcast without recounting yes, is please. they talk about the Thane of Cawdor mm-hmm. and how, when he's killed, when he's executed for treason, yeah, that he, nothing, nothing in his life became him like the leaving of it. Oh, that was such a crazy moment. Sorry, please continue. He died as one who had studied in his death to throw away the dearest thing he owed as were a careless trifle. (laughs) And that is the flip side of the Faustian bargain. The dearest thing you owe, your honor, your soul, your moral compass the the respect that other others have for you um your conscience sleep macbeth shall sleep no more he's unable to sleep because his conscience is mm. destroyed by what he's done and yet once it's destroyed he can only go further down that path he kills banquo he tries to kill fleance a little boy you know mm-hmm. and then he he kills macduff's family and and he's just he just circles a drain he's more and more bloody um and uh so that's the flip side and i don't think it's at all a coincidence that they use the same that shakespeare uses the same word when banquo says that uh the instruments of darkness tell us truths win us with honest trifles and betray us in deepest consequence and then you turn around later and he throws away the dearest thing he owes as were a careless trifle and then the one other thing i guess you know on the political level of the play and this is something that you'll notice they elide from the uh denzel and francis mcdormand macbeth but there's this peculiar moment where malcolm starts to to speak as if he is they ask you know he says if someone if if we get rid of macbeth someone even worse will take the throne Hmm. and the and i forget who he's talking i think it's talking to macduff actually but macduff says well well who do you mean he says it is myself i mean in whom I know the particulars of vice so grafted that when they shall be oped, black Macbeth shall seem as white as snow. Hmm. So that line speaks wow, to me oh, very deeply. That line speaks to me so deeply. And I think it speaks to everyone. Like, who knows your particulars of vice better than yourself? There's a, there's a, oops, sorry, continue. And, and so, yeah, just to complete that thought. So then he proceeds to say, well, if I had power, I would want everyone's wives and daughters to myself. I would want uh, sexual gratification 
through all kinds of available women. And that would be awful, right? Mm-hmm. And, oh, no, 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 you're the king. It's all right. Then he says, I would be uh, lustful for I would be lustful for power and I would seize all the the lands and all the wealth in the kingdom if I had pa- the power of the throne. Oh, well, you know, da, 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 da. Well, if I was the king, I would want to make war against everybody and my v- lavish, violent spirit could not be curbed. And And then, again, I think it's Macduff he's talking to and he says, Oh, heaven help us, <laughs> you know, if yeah. you're really as bad as you say you are. And then Malcolm kind of in a peculiar way takes, he's like, I take it all back. I take it all back. I, I didn't mean that. And then the end of the play, Malcolm becomes the king. Yeah. So I think while Shakespeare has to like walk this line where King James is the king, like monarchy is still a thing. and Shakespeare is never able to fully reject monarchy as a concept in his work as if that were something we don't know if that's something he would have wanted to do, but Mm. he raises this question of can anybody be trusted with power? Like the kind of power a King has. Yeah. Mm. That's so important. I've been wondering that lately as we, you know, midterms just came up and, Everything yeah. and and that's one of those things that growing up, like everybody wants to be the the president, and yeah, I definitely at times probably as a third grader, like was like, yeah, I want to be the president. And as I've learned more about myself and our political system and so on and so forth, I'm like, that seems like the worst job ever. Uh, <laughs> I I would no, um, it it almost feels like the type of job that the person that should have that role. And it doesn't mean just the U.S. president. Any of these types of authority spaces should be the person that's actively choosing not to have it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and and in in reality, and like because of that level of humility, and that's ne- necessary when you all of a sudden hold power. Um, there's a there's a statement um, that I'm sure you both have heard before, um, in response to a a news clipping, uh, in or like the early 1900s uh, with the question, what's world, what's wrong with the world? Uh, there's a story of GK Chesterton um, mm. responding, yeah. uh, dear sir, uh, regarding your question of what's wrong with the world. I am. <laughs> and to me, that's, that's a piece that I, I, I think of Paul, Paul writes about that all the time. Like the very things I don't want to do, I do, and like you know, he tells his own story and all these pieces. Like, what a what a impactful question and line, um, and the the reality of of uh, being able to say it out loud. Uh, yeah. What uh, are the other questions that I've I've wondered when I've read Macbeth? And and I'm I'm gonna ask this because I don't know if it's a question I should be asking. Um as in like stop stop asking that, Macbeth's not about that. Um is this question of um like pro- fulfillment of prof- prophecy. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> and like I feel like maybe that's one that people talk about like way too much. Um maybe, I don't know. But like this idea of what if Macbeth 
had heard the prophecy but chose not to make it happen? Would it have happened still? Um, if chance will have me king, why trance, chance may crown me without my stir. So he thinks of that. He even thinks of that himself, but he still can't resist what he winds up doing. Yeah. Do you think that he would have done any of this had the prophecy of the weird sisters not happened? Would he have like tried to kill everybody and become king? Well, I mean... Do we have evidence, I guess, is the question. Is there something that speaks to that? that it, I, it it seems like no, but with with no, but with the caveat that who are the weird sisters? Yeah, you know who who is the devil? Who is, I mean, who is Lady Macbeth? Even like, she's him. Mm. It it these are you know in especially in sort of mythical work, things like demons are sort of external representations of your own. It's part of your psyche. You know, these are Mm -hmm. forces within your own psyche. Like, so this, this, we, we see on stage, three witches come along and tell Macbeth. Wow. If you're Thane of Cawdor, you're going to be Thane of Cawdor. And then he becomes Thane of Cawdor. But like, you're next in line for the throne and the mm-hmm. king is coming to stay at your house. Huh? Yeah, you know? So like, and, and, and interestingly, the house that the king is staying at is Cawdor. It's not Glom's. So the last question to wonder about Macbeth is what happened to the Thane of Cawdor? Did the Thane of Cawdor run into three weird sisters? that tempted him into becoming a traitor and brought him to his ruin. Mm. Is there something endemic to the mm. castle? Macbeth's, uh, not Glom's, but the, specifically the Cawdor Castle. I forget the name mm. of it. I wrote it down somewhere. But is, it, is there a sort of a haunted association with that place? But w- what are these forces that compel people to forego their their honor their 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 devotion to the king i mean macbeth was just fighting a battle for the king he turns Mm -hmm. around and kills him and the king is so grateful the first thing talking about first lines the first thing the king says when he sees macbeth the first line they speak to each other is the king says oh worthiest cousin the sin of my ingratitude even now was heavy on me Now that's hyperbole from the king saying like the sin of my, he's speaking hyperbolically, Mm -hmm. but like, I don't know how to tell you how grateful I am. You know, there's no way to even tell you, but the irony of that statement, the the sin of Macbeth's ingratitude will weigh on heavy on him for the rest of the play. Mm -hmm. I mean, even the moment where the, the, the king's response of saying, Hey, like, Hey, I got this diamond necklace. For Lady Macbeth, like that, that was a piece that stuck out to me as well. Like the purity of that, uh, followed by the blood. Yeah. Just like, yeah, he was, he was giving gifts to everyone in there, in the whole mansion, all the servants and everything, even just distributing gifts to everyone. 
and yet, <laughs> you know, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Mm-hmm. Hunter, do you have closing remarks? Um, I have closing lines from Shakespeare. <laughs> Bring them to us. Is this a dagger which I see before me, the handle toward my hand? Come, let me clutch thee. I have thee not, and yet I see thee still. Art thou not, fatal vision, sensible to feeling as to sight? Or art thou but a dagger of the mind, a false creation? Proceeding from the heat-oppressed brain. I see thee yet in form as palpable as this which now I draw. Thou marshalest me the way that I was going, and such an instrument I was to use. Mine eyes are made the fools of the other senses, or else worth all the rest. I see thee still, and on thy blade in dungeon gouts of blood which was not so before. There's no such thing. It is the bloody business which informs thus to mine eyes. Now o'er the one half-world nature seems dead, and wicked dreams abuse the curtained sleep. Witchcraft celebrates pale Hecate's offerings, and withered murder, alarmed by his sentinel, the wolf, whose howls his watch, thus with his stealthy pace. With Tarkin's ravishing strides, towards his design moves like a ghost. Thou sure and firm set earth, hear not my steps, which way they walk, for fear thy very stones prate of my whereabout, and take the present horror from the time which now suits with it. Whiles I threat, he lives. Words to the heat of deeds too cold breath gives. And earlier on, one of the lines was, present fears are less than horrible imaginings. Mm. Yes. Nothing is but what is not. Mm. Later in that passage. And, and I, I, since we're doing this, real quick, Macbeth, when they've discovered the body of the king, and I love Denzel delivering this. Had I but died an hour before this chance, I had lived a blessed time. Mm. For from this instant, there's nothing serious in mortality. All is but toys. Renown and grace is dead. The wine of life is drawn, and the mere lees is left this fault to brag of. Lees meaning like the dregs, the bottom of the barrel of wine. Yeah. There's, there's nothing good left. Mm. Be careful. We could just read the whole play. At least I could. But oh, we, <laughs> you I, didn't? I thought that you did read the whole play. <laughs> yeah, I was only going to do part of it, and then I just, I just couldn't stop. I, yeah. I kind of zoned, uh, which maybe is embarrassing. I don't know if I should be embarrassed about that, but 
It was no. very calming to listen to, um, even it's... as you're talking about very intense things. False face must hide what the false heart doth know, Eric. <laughs> even that, as a, as a, a super last uh, postscript, this is something that one of the actors told me. Actually, it wasn't an act. I met Lady Macbeth, the actress that played Lady Macbeth. I got to hang out with them at an actor's party. And I think her boyfriend told me this, mm. that um, uh, the, 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 way, the way Shakespeare wants the play to be acted, he writes it into the play mm. so that it can't get lost. So uh, when Lady Macbeth says, look like the innocent flower, but be the serpent under it. So Lady Macbeth says that to Macbeth, advising him how to treat the king, who, you know, how to basically mm-hmm. be fake with him and treat him as if he's a welcome guest, but be this cunning serpent under it, like you're going to kill him. Yeah. But also, that's the character Lady Macbeth. That's how she is and how she should be played. Shakespeare's like coding that right into the script. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Shall we uh, finish up then? Yeah. Michael, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been a joy. I know that I have learned a ton. Uh, and really enjoyed hearing your thoughts. I know we've talked a couple times, but I feel like I'm getting to hear you speak about something that you're very passionate about and know a lot about and have thought a lot about. And that's what this podcast is about. And thank you for for bringing that. Thank you for being honest. Thanks for kind of helping us experience um, Macbeth in a way that uh, I know I haven't before. Uh, even though I've been in spaces where I would assume I would have. <laughs> um, and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm so appreciative. Uh, Andrew, do you want to say anything uh, just to, to thank Michael as well? Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, I was really excited uh, for this podcast because I, I enjoy a lot of our conversations, uh, especially when you, there's, there's not many people I talk to who quote Shakespeare to me. And, uh, <laughs> I, I love it. And, uh, you just, you have so much, so you've, you've lived Shakespeare and, and especially Macbeth. And, uh, it was really great to, to live it with you for uh, an hour and so many minutes. The service and the loyalty I owe in doing it pays itself. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's just the honor. Be... The honor is mine, gentlemen. Thank you for receiving me. Yeah, I feel I'm a much more welcome guest than unfortunate Duncan. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's good.